Hello, and welcome to the latest podcast for The Lancet Global Health. I'm Naomi Lee, and today I'm joined by Dr. Tiffany Chow from the Massachusetts General Hospital Department of Surgery to discuss the role of surgery in low- and middle-income settings. Dr. Chow, thanks very much for being here today to discuss your paper with us. Could you briefly give us a background to the state of surgery in lower-income countries and the need to do a cost-effectiveness study? Sure. Well, I would say that in the traditional paradigm of global health, people used to think that global health just meant infectious diseases. So things like tuberculosis, malaria, and HIV used to get a lot of attention and, in fact, almost all the attention. However, in recent years, there's been a new paradigm of global health that has included a lot of non-communicable diseases. You know, very recently, the Global Burden of Disease Study came out in 2012 in December in The Lancet, showing that there's a very growing burden of both non-communicable diseases and injuries and these demonstrated a lot of surgical problems. For example, road traffic injuries were accounting for 75.5 million disability-adjusted life years in 2010, and that's you know, been growing up 20 million dailies from 1990. Cancers caused about 76% more disability globally in the same time frame. So there's certainly a huge burden of surgically treatable diseases in the developing world. So that's sort of the background of the state of surgery. I would say that at the same time, a number of arguments can be made to say that we should focus on or at least include surgery in global health paradigm. Besides the burden of surgical disease, which I just mentioned, you can certainly make other arguments, both ethically or socially, to argue that surgery should be included in global health. However, we found that one significant argument that holds a lot of water today, certainly, is an economic argument. And for that reason, we thought that, you know, cost-effectiveness of surgery could be a good argument. Now, there have been a number of papers published about the cost-effectiveness of surgery, but typically these papers are focused on single interventions or single countries. And we thought that if we could do a systematic review of all of these papers, we might be able to get a better sense of what all the published literature says about the cost-effectiveness of surgery. Yes, that's really interesting. Can you tell us what methods that you use in the study and what did you find? We performed a systematic review following the PRISMA guidelines, which is a set of guidelines for reporting systematic reviews. First, we searched Medline for all the relevant articles published between 1996 and 2013, January. And we also searched the reference list of those articles. And we did two things with these articles. First of all, we did a qualitative assessment using what's called the Drummond checklist. This checklist is a widely accepted checklist to assess the quality of cost-effectiveness analyses. It's recommended, for example, in, in the Cochrane reviews. And the checklist is used to sort of inform appraisal of the methodologic quality of economic evaluation. So, Obviously, sometimes you can do a cost-effectiveness analysis that really is very comprehensive and discusses a lot of issues relating to the cost and the consequences. And occasionally, you might find a paper that does not have all of the recommended cost-effectiveness analysis guidelines. So primarily, we did the Drummond checklist just to assess the methodologic quality of the published literature in cost-effectiveness analysis. Furthermore, the other thing that we did is we converted all of the results to 2012 U.S. dollars, and we extracted all the single point values for cost-effectiveness ratios. And then we took all those numbers and we aggregated them. We split them up by intervention. 
So, for example, uh, we have three data points for adult male circumcision. We have six different data points for cleft lip palate repair. We have a number of different data points for general surgery, for ophthalmic surgery, for cesarean deliveries, and for um, orthopedic surgery. We took all of those data and separated them into separate graphs so that you could see, you know, exactly what the values were being reported for cleft lip and palate repair. And in order to perform quantitative synthesis, we extracted median values so that we could say that, you know, the median of the median cost-effectiveness ratio for a certain procedure is blank. Furthermore, after doing that and being able to report the median these median values, we then compared those median values to very widely accepted public health interventions. So we took, you know, orthopedic surgery, cesarean deliveries, ophthalmic surgery, etc., and compared them to the public health strategies people use today, such as antiretroviral for HIV, vaccination, bed nets for malaria prevention, um, and a couple other ones. We were interested in the cost of the disability-adjusted life years for some of the interventions. Was that a surprise to you? The disability-adjusted life years are a very powerful tool to compare uh, different public health strategies. We found it was very surprising. You know, some of our findings showed that surgical interventions, which are widely thought of to be too expensive or too complex, we actually found that a number of surgical interventions were quite cost-effective compared to a number of public health strategies. For example, male circumcision in Africa we looked at, and the median cost-effectiveness ratio for that was $13.78 per dally. Interestingly, the, um, the cost of a set of vaccinations is somewhere between $12.96 and $25.93 per dally. So as you can see, the median cost-effectiveness ratio of circumcision is actually lower than that of vaccination, which we thought was fascinating. Um, when people think of public health or global health, I would say that many people think that vaccinations are actually the most cost-effective thing you can do. Obviously, it's a preventive strategy, and people think that these sort of strategies are very cost-effective. But it turns out, based on the published literature, that the cost-effectiveness ratio of the surgical intervention, namely circumcision, is actually lower than that of standard vaccination. So besides circumcision, which is more cost-effective than vaccinations and also more cost-effective than using bed nets for malaria prevention, there are other cost-effectiveness ratios were very comparable as well. So the ratio for cleft lip and palate repair was about $47 per daily. General surgery was about $82. Hydrocephalus surgery was about $108. And ophthalmic surgery was $136 per daily. And these are actually all very similar to that of the BCG vaccine for areas of high tuberculosis prevalence, which is somewhere between $51 and $220 per daily. The other cost-effectiveness ratios we found, such as cesarean section at $315, or orthopedic surgery at $381 per daily are actually more favorable than treatment for HIV, for example. Antiretroviral therapy ends up costing about $453 per daily. So a lot of these surgical interventions turns out to be very favorable in terms of cost-effectiveness compared to very widely accepted global health strategies. The WHO has some guidelines for cost-effectiveness analysis, and Specifically, they endorse a system where cost-effectiveness analysis is assessed based on a country's GDP per capita or GDP per head. Typically, interventions that have cost-effectiveness ratios that are one to three times greater than the GDP per head are regarded as cost-effective. 
And when you have an intervention where the cost-effectiveness ratio is less than the GDP per head, those are considered very cost-effective. Based on all of the results of our study, nearly all surgical interventions reported in the literature are considered very cost-effective, meaning their cost-effectiveness ratios are less than the GDP per head in a country. Even compared to objective standards, a number of surgical interventions are very cost-effective. And this is in addition to being cost-effective in comparison to widely accepted global health strategies. This work was part of the Lancet Commission on Global Surgery. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. The Lancet Commission on Global Surgery aims to address the need for health systems to strengthen their framework in order to provide surgery. The commission consists of 22 commissioners and three co-chairs, and they plan to have a series of three meetings. The first meeting was in January in Boston. There's an upcoming meeting in June in Sierra Leone. And then in, in November, there'll be another meeting in Dubai. And the objectives of the commission are to firstly examine the state of surgery within the global health agenda. You know, is it uh, becoming more widely accepted or less, et cetera. It will characterize the role and nature of essential surgery within functional healthcare systems in low and middle income countries. It's going to identify critical health system barriers that are preventing universal access to surgical care. And then Hopefully, they'll try to define scalable priority actions that can be used to overcome the barriers. And then finally, they'll try to define how governments and international bodies and NGOs and academic institutions and funders and things like that can all work together in the attainment of those goals. The commission is intending to publish a 20,000-word report that hopefully can be a reference point for different governments and policymakers and funding agencies to engage in concrete action to bring surgery into the global health agenda. Well, this is really interesting work, Dr. Chan. I'm sure it's going to inform the debate on the role of surgery in global health. So thank you very much for, for joining us and for discussing that with us. Thank you so much, Naomi. It was very nice to talk to you.